Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Literary Quest. Today, we'll be discussing The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Clune. I will be discussing our characters and location, and Vicki will discuss our plot. So our main character is Linus Baker. He is a caseworker for the department in charge of magical youth. He is 40 and lives a mostly solitary life with his cat, Calliope. He has a hateful neighbor and enjoys listening to old records. We also have Arthur Parnassus, who is the master of an orphanage on Marcius Island, where he cares for magical children who are deemed too special and magical to be among the populace. The children are Talia, who's a female gnome, Fee, a super powerful forest sprite, Sal, a Pomeranian shifter, Chauncey, a blob creature with ambiguous parentage, Theodore, a wyvern, and Lucy, the Antichrist. Arthur is helped by Zoe Chapelwhite, who is a very powerful sprite that cares for the island on which they live. This book takes place in an unnamed but very rainy city where Linus lives and on Marcius Island where Arthur and the children live. All right, so for our plot, Linus Baker is a caseworker and is well known for his objectivity in his reports. He does his job and doesn't think about what happens after he submits his reports. This gets him chosen by extreme upper management for a special assignment. It's a classified level four, which is super secret. He is sent to an evaluate an orphanage on an island. He is given one month to observe and complete a report. Upon his return, he will make a recommendation on whether the orphanage should remain open. This orphanage is special because it holds six very special magical children, including a gnome, a blob, a shifter, a sprite, a wyvern, and the Antichrist. They're all under the care of Arthur, a man who'd grown up in the orphanage himself. Linus is warned to keep his distance and to remain impartial. However, that proves to be impossible as he finds himself getting attached to all of the children and developing feelings for Arthur. What happens when Linus returns home to give his final report? Will the orphanage be closed? Spoilers ahead. Nice. Well, I loved this book. It is probably my favorite thing that I have read in a while. I felt like the story was so sweet and the characters were charming and it like made me want to adopt children from magical orphanages and I really enjoyed it. I liked it. I not as much as you, but um I felt like I was reading like a children's book, like very raw doll, like Matilda. I don't know how you say his name, but you know, like Matilda, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, that sort of children's book, mm-hmm. um, which was interesting. 
like I, I couldn't tell if I really liked that if I didn't like it um and I felt like some of the lessons in the book were just really I guess heavy-handed which went along with me feeling like it was a children's book yeah but other than that right yeah I loved all the characters I loved the story you know I oh my gosh their love story is just so sweet yeah you know so I really enjoyed all of that do you not like children's books I don't dislike them I just don't like there's something about the way that they're written that I don't know they make it feel kind of pandering sometimes I kind of felt like occasionally so yeah so it kind of felt like that hmm. um I was confused about who the target audience was supposed to be for this book just because I felt like it was kind of written like a children's book but then there's also like cuss words and child abuse and I feel like those are weird things to put in a child's book but then they also did that to Harry Potter so right and I don't know like think of so from like I said it was like a doll book to me like that weird like charlie and the chocolate factory kind of fantasy stuff matilda and some of the um children you know mm-hmm. like the abuse and stuff like that so because i did actually look up like what age range this was supposed to be for mm-hmm. um and uh, like well so that's how i came ap- across the reviews where everyone was all like me gay people and representation makes me mad but like <laughs> <laughs> um but a lot of it was saying like upper YA I was like really because there were only a couple curse words in it yeah the material although serious at times is also I guess kind of dampened sort of the way that Harry Potter is and stuff like that with all the magic yeah so yeah it was interesting it was a it's an interesting um read that is interesting i don't i don't see this i don't know i think it's the cuss words that are probably throwing me off mm-hmm. um so then i wonder is it rated like upper ya because of the lgbtq representation right is that because i don't and the child abuse that I see and the child abuse would be like the thing that I would think would be more I don't know I don't I don't feel like this I don't feel like it's a kid's book but I don't really feel like it's a, like a written for an adult book either mm-hmm. yeah so I don't know um I, I feel like it's harder to kind of work into one of those categories kind of like where some things are very specifically YA. Yeah. Because I think about like the, um, oh darn, Suzanne Collins, the girl who, oh shit, what are those books called? They made all the movies about them. Liam Hemsworth. Yeah, isn't Hunger it? Hunger Games. Oh yeah, The Hunger Games. Okay. So I think about those books. Like they're literally murdering children and that's YA. So 
Yeah, but that makes more sense of it being like an upper YA. Is it an upper okay. YA? Yeah, I think so because it's got like a like a re- like a this much stronger romantic subplot going on in that one, which I think also kind of contributes it. And the characters too; they're all teenagers. Yeah. Um. And yeah, but if you think of like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, right? What happened to those kids? You know. Well, yeah. Are they dead? We don't. It's never said. I don't think. Oh, that's true. But they also don't refer to them like being physically abused by other people or being like locked in cellars or something like that. So I don't know. I feel like this is a weird, categorically, like yeah. categorical designation for. I don't know. I don't see this being upper YA. Definitely this, not. Oh, sorry, yeah. Go ahead. No, you're fine. I just don't. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like. I mean. Matilda like that was a lot of child abuse yeah that was there's a girl that gets spun around by her hair mm-hmm. that's pretty serious they lock kids in closets yeah I mean yeah. and Harry Potter was uh, definitely yeah. child abuse yeah and that I, was, read, I was, I was like, listening to that it, recently and I was like oh my gosh <laughs> um <laughs> Harry's being assaulted by, by his uncle this is child abuse mm-hmm. yeah yeah um, and they say some cuss words in that too. So I, whatever, I guess it's YA. Um, yeah, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I didn't, I mean, I enjoyed like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and I don't think I ever read Matilda. I didn't like the Hunger Games books, um, but that's just because I don't like books where children are killed for games. Um you don't how strange I know it's very odd right um but I did I did really enjoy the way that this read I thought it was nice it was very light I'm really struggling with like reading books right now like I feel like my bandwidth for serious emotional depth is pretty limited and so to me this was just like a nice funny light read like I knew pretty much going in that I wasn't going to experience any significant emotional turmoil, which was nice for me. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I, there were a lot of characters in this story, but I feel like they were pretty well developed which is something that I feel like we kind of struggled with in the last book that we read where there were a ton of characters and I was struggling to remember all of them and keep track of who was who and all of that stuff. It was just like a bunch of random impassing people. I feel like there were a lot of side characters, all of the children, but I feel like their characters were pretty well developed. I think it might be because so a lot of the, um, there's so much dialogue in this book. Yeah. You know, so there's not a, t- yeah. I mean, it's the descriptions are there, but it's not really heavy on descriptions. There's a lot of dialogue. So he's always talking to the kids, you know, um, talking to Arthur, Zoe, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. So I think it's easier to build like characters that way because you've, they're, you're conversing more with them. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, kind, kind of about the, um, child abuse that was oh my gosh it annoyed me so much the orphanages right 
and Linus at the beginning where he's just like, I just do my job. It's fine. Mm -hmm. I don't care what happens afterwards. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, that's just for upper management to handle. And I was like, oh my God, why? Yeah. It reminded me, you never read The Giver, did you? No. It reminded me a little bit of that where people like are assigned jobs and they just do them without even questioning it. And some of it is like murdering people. That's a job? Yeah. So old people and sick babies who like don't meet certain criteria, like certain weight criteria and all of this, they euthanize them. Wow. Yeah. Well, I probably won't be reading that book. So (laughs) thanks for the heads up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I might it reminded me of that and I'm like I'm just gonna do my job whatever happens happens it's like mm, yeah okay but I was I was so annoyed there was a sign at one of it like at one of the places where it was like a quiet child is a happy child yeah children are people too children are um human mm-hmm. yeah I really struggled with Linus's character in the beginning I feel like and this is probably just a product of like his environment the way that he was you know raised it doesn't sound like he had anyone that was really supportive in his life it doesn't sound like his mom was very encouraging and he has a job that's basically just slogging through keep your head down and don't draw any attention to yourself don't be curious or really have opinions about things which is like mm, frustrating to read because his decisions about these orphanages are going to have pretty major impacts on the lives of children. And so it's like, he makes recommendations to close them and he's only recommended that five of them be closed. And in those situations, the children have actually been being abused and they go to these schools And he doesn't investigate like anything that's happening in the schools. He doesn't really like, I don't know that it's like he doesn't care or if he's just kind of created, I don't know, boundaries for himself Mm -hmm. if he lacks ambition. Right. Um, But that's really frustrating to read because the implication is like, these are bad places. And if you care about these children, why wouldn't you care if they were going to a bad place? Yeah. And he's been doing his job for like 17 years or something mm-hmm. like that. A long time. And you would just think at some point in that time, you would go, I wonder where these children go. Yeah. You know, I wonder what it's like there. But it also, when it was described, like where he was working and the attitudes that his supervisors had stuff, I was like, this is like Amazon factory kind of environment here. It's like you take one minute over your 15 minute break and you get a demerit. You have mustard on your shirt and you get a demerit. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they definitely need like a, um, like a workplace lawyer or something. At one point, Mrs. Jenkins tells Linus that he's going to have to work extra and he's like, concerned that he's gonna have to work extra and his pay get it get docked and I was thinking I'm pretty sure that's illegal yes yeah he can't dock someone's pay 
and make them work over time. Mm-hmm. They need a human resource department. They do need a human resource department. I bet they don't even have one. Everyone just keeps their head down. Mm-hmm. All these people are dicks too. All of the people that he work with, he works with, they're awful people. Yes. They His are. boss sucks. Mrs. Jenkins, she's a jerk. Mm-hmm. The guy Gunther, that's her sidekick, he's a jerk. Uh, his uh, desk neighbor, Mr. Tremblay, I think is his name, mm-hmm. is awful. They're not allowed to have personal items at their desks. Like, this is this is not a, a good work environment. How is he toughing it out for, like, 17 years? No there's, idea. There's no place better. They don't actually expand on what else could be done in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I guess on the island, people run, or not on the island, in like the village by the island or whatever, after they cross, like people run like ice cream shops and record stores and stuff like that. But yeah. outside of it, it doesn't, yeah. Yeah. Ugh, his neighbor sucked. Yeah. His neighbor was terrible. She was all like, she uh, was very critical, first of all. But wanted to set him up with her grandson. Mm-hmm. Was speculating about him. Uh, well, I think killing himself mm-hmm. or something like that. But did he want to go on a date? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was also mentioned at some point that he hadn't taken a vacation like or hadn't had more than five days off. Mm-hmm. Something like that the whole time he worked there. What? Yeah. This some work-life balance going on here yes yeah poor lioness i mean he just i felt he was hard to read in the start of this book his character was hard because we have this man who i think probably has low Mm self-esteem low self-worth no dreams Mm -hmm. has given up on the idea of love just reconciled himself to the idea that he's going to be alone at 40 for the rest of his life has a cat that doesn't like him and no desire or interest in anything more in his life. Just keep your head down and tough it out. And then you'll die one day. <laughs> Capitalist stream. Yeah. I mean, what kind of life is that? So I feel bad for him. He's a, he's, his life is sad. Like that's depressing. All he's got is his music mm-hmm. and his cat, who's his only friend who doesn't even really like him. <laughs> yep. I mean, and that's maybe standard for a cat, but still. I mean, the cat's there at least. Yeah. You know, the way cats are. Yeah. He wants attention for like five seconds every, you know, two weeks. <laughs> and then yeah. claws at you um yeah but so when he's having that conversation with his neighbor like there's an inner dialogue going on where it was like oh you know at 27 he realized that love just wasn't for him mm-hmm. like 27 weird age why and i feel like when we read books it's always like after the age of 25 it's just you're, you're done that's it no yeah. no romance for you mm-hmm. like I, was, I felt so bad for him for giving up at 27 you know yeah 
He says he just reconciled himself to the idea that there are some people who are going to end up alone and that's going to be him. Yeah. Which I think is sad. I agree. And I think it has to do with his, like, he just doesn't have expectations at all. Yeah. Other than negative ones. Yeah. His I mean, expectations are negative. So. Yeah. Or avoidant. I'm just going to, like, avoid feeling things. It's like when you try to stay objective throughout your whole life. Like, he, his job is to be objective. But in life, it's like, I'm going to put my expectations on the floor and mm-hmm. uh, not expect anything better. Um. I feel like his character grows so much in this book. Oh, yes, very much so. I mean, when when we start out with him, like he's very bought into the rhetoric of uh, the department in charge of mystical youth or magical youth, uh, di- diachemy. Mm-hmm. We're going to shorten that, I guess. Um, very bought into to their ideology um and i mean he's never really had anyone in his life to i mean support him or encourage him even his mom when he was a kid doesn't sound like she was very encouraging either and so we take him at the start of this book and he meets people he meets the children in the orphanage he meets uh Mr. Parnass, Arthur Parnassus, and he develops some self-esteem mm-hmm. and some self-worth. And um, he, we get to see how being with people who love him and appreciate him and are encouraging to him empowers him because he gets to see people who are strange and unique and special being empowered to be themselves Mm -hmm. yeah and we do get it's kind of jumping ahead a little bit we do get a really kind of great moment where people like zoe and arthur have been telling him that he's like a great guy he's you know extraordinary and amazing and all this stuff and that they care about him and he's always like oh no that's not me but then later on like towards the end of the book he does have a moment of where he goes I'm more than I appear to be like don't um underestimate me Mm -hmm. I was like yay it happened like all that support made him believe in himself yeah Mm -hmm. I mean he experiences a pretty significant change in in character Mm mm-hmm um, and I do think it's interesting. He, um, you know, he talks about being really objective of, about like his job and things, but he's very passionate about the safety of the children. Like, I think he really, you know, cares about, because that's something that, that comes through. I think in the entire story, he, and it, I mean, it just kind of grows by the time we get to the end of the story. He's very passionate about making sure that all of the children he visits are cared for and that they're safe. They're not being abused. Um, so he's ha- he has it. He has it, it in him. He has the ability to be more than just Linus who accepts baseline everything. He just needed some people to foster it. I love his cat, Calliope. 
Mm -hmm. Oh man, she's so sassy. He's she talks about how her like purring is not a good thing. <laughs> it's a warning. Yeah, this is a warning. She has such a transformation when she goes to Marcia's Island too. It's so funny. Um, cats are <sighs> turds. They're just so Ugh. sorry they are um just ridiculous but i was really thinking when this book started that this cat was going to be magical in some way and that's why she was so pissy and then I she thought... was going to have a transformation when they got to this island <laughs> just a cat <laughs> just, just a regular cat with a bad attitude <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, it looks like you discovered a new word. I did. Have you ever heard that word before? I don't. How do you even say I don't it? I think bloviating. Bloviating. Okay, that's yeah. Bloviating. Yeah, I'd never heard it before. So it's you know it means to talk them talk in length in an empty way, which makes sense. Um, but yeah, I love learning new words. Yeah, um, it's nice to discover new words in books especially words that are kind of weird like that that looks like an older word mm -hmm. yeah yeah um I thought it was so I like how in um Linus's like on Linus's desk he has like a postcard of the ocean he's never been there before he always went always has wanted to go I love that we get to see this moment where he arrives at Marcia's Island. So he's told like, you have a classified job. He has to go meet with Arthur and the children at this orphanage. And the transformation from cloudy, gray, rainy all the time to sunny, mm -hmm. huge bodies of water. And the thing says, his little postcard says, don't you wish you were here? And that's something that keeps carrying through in the story and it shows back up at the end. But this is this first moment that we got, we get where he gets to the town and he sees the ocean and he sees the sun and he sees the blue sky and it matches the picture. Mm -hmm. I love that. I, I love when he sees that. I love when he sees the ocean for the first time, because that was a big thing. Mm -hmm. Um, for him and it yeah i love the ocean too so <laughs> whenever it's brought yeah. up it's just really cool like there's so much of it and he even um oh gosh i wish i had highlighted it but he mentions the ocean again to like so one of the kids asks him like something about what he's learned and he says i've learned that there are things that are so vast that they can't be truly grasped or something like that and then the kid um thinks that he's talking about them and he's like no the ocean and i was like oh yeah it's yeah i didn't yeah. highlight that i should have highlighted that but yeah. there is a lot of dialogue in this book and i really loved every single part of it when he is interacting or when they're interacting with the children, there were so many cute and funny moments. Yes. Oh my gosh. Lucy cracked me up. Like I laughed out loud. 
Yes. <laughs> the things that, I mean, I just was imagining like this adorable six-year-old child. That's like the same age as my nephew mm-hmm. saying, hello, Mr. Baker, you would do well to remember that human souls are cheap trinkets to one such as me. And I love cheap trinkets. <laughs> like he's so great and I mean just a six-year-old shouting I'm a bastion of death and destruction <laughs> like <laughs> I am beyond what was it um yeah um oh shoot something of plague and pestilence like yeah plague I and pestilence just... I am um yeah so why can't I say it now Beelzebub? yes thank you that it's like <laughs> he's just I like just... shouting it Yes. I love the idea of these things coming out of a child's mouth. It's so funny. Um, Lucy is great. I also, so what I really like also is that they emphasize not calling him the antichrist. Yes. They don't use that word. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, Lucy was great. Talia, the gnome. Mm-hmm. One I of really my favorite characters. She was, she was great. Yes. Like the first time Linus runs into her, she threatens to kill him and bury him in her garden, which is a great way to make a first impression. Um, but I, I like that that's something that she keeps like her and Linus to get no her and Lucy together talk about like killing people, burying them or digging them up from graveyards or things like that. Like there's just this dark, funny humor. Yes. And Lucy can be so snarky too. Mm-hmm. So they go on an adventure right into the woods. And at one point, like Linus is the leader and he goes to like switch or something. And Lucy says, um, you were doing such a good job of it. And you look like you don't hear that often enough. I don't want to take that away from you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ouch. Burn. <laughs> like, and again, like a six-year-old child saying that. Yeah, that's rough. Get to the heart of things there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So. I like that we have some size representation too. Linus mentions that, well, he mentions that he's on a diet because he's got, they talk about his wider hips and his rounder belly. And uh, I like how the kids, they, they like appreciate him and like him no matter his size. Um, they talk about him. I think Talia talks about him having a round belly. Like she has a round belly and there's nothing wrong with it. And mm-hmm. yeah, that was, yeah. Um, he's, it kind of goes along with his low self-esteem, mm-hmm. but there's one scene. So it's actually, again, that adventure scene where he puts on, you know, like your typical like tan adventure outfit with the sort of helmet, you know, Mm-hmm. thing and he says he looked like a round egg oh. in it i was like oh you're don't be so harsh on yourself yeah you look fine yes i mean to be fair are there many people that are gonna look that like great in a khaki shirt and khaki shorts and a hard like brimmed hat and I mean I think probably just Steve Irwin is going to be any like the person that's pretty good at rocking that oh gosh and see I didn't realize until the end like her story was so sad Sophie's the the super strong wood sprite who is working with Zoe Mm -hmm. 
who's the sprite from Marcius Island. Um, when at the end of the book, Linus is talking about Fee, he mentions that her their people were like basically moved off of their land and his mother, her mother starved to death in front of her. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, when men came to take her away, she turned them into a tree, even though she was like also starving and had like, I mean, that's horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just felt so bad for all of these children. <laughs> I know. Me too. They were... And Chauncey. Yeah. He he's a blob. <laughs> and yeah. it made me think of the blob monsters on Futurama. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially because he's kind of see-through. Oh yeah. I think this is kind of what I thought of as well. Yeah. Something similar to it. But it's so cute. He wants to be a bellhop. He has a like thousand page book or something on the history of bellhops at <laughs> like it's see because I think you could probably argue that for a blob monster child who's gonna experience probably a lot of prejudice uh because they're a blob monster like bellhop is bellhop is a pretty significant achievement even just when you look at it through the lens of and this is something that Arthur talks about uh, when he's talking about the children and I love Arthur and the way that he supports and loves these kids but he talks about how when Chauncey was a child he was told like you're a monster you're a monster you're a monster and so he mentions to Linus like he may you know uh, grab your ankle, like, live under your bed and grab your ankles when you get out of bed because it's like ingrained, you know, like you're a monster and this is what monsters do, even though he's not trying to be harmful and he wants to be something different. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, you know, then I, I was thinking about this specifically in a negative way yesterday, um, but when someone tells you something about yourself repeatedly, um, you can start to believe that. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, definitely. You'll internalize it, and especially for children. Yeah. Especially, they're much more malleable, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and especially I mean, yeah. people in authority mm-hmm. are telling them, too, like, you're a monster. Yeah, definitely. Poor Chauncey. Yeah. Oh, just bless him. I mean, like, even just, like, I feel like he's going to have the hardest time out of, like, all of the children because he's so, like, they don't know what he is, where he came from, anything like that. And he's wet. That, from my standpoint, would be, like, the hardest part. Like, everything he touches is a little bit damp. (laughs) And that would be a little bit off-putting to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that. Um, So Chauncey, I, yeah. I mean, his ambition seems simple, but when you look at all of the adversity that he is likely to face, just because of how he looks and being a magical creature, Mm -hmm. is it really like not that ambitious? Yeah. That's true. I guess just being out in the world and being accepted is ambitious. Yeah. Enough. 
with that yeah um yeah oh sal also kind of hurt my heart a little bit i don't know i just loved all the kids like theodore is a wyvern but he's also like not a big wyvern which i think is different usually when we see wyverns they're like huge they're the size of dragons and mm -hmm. this little guy fits underneath the couch and collects buttons over his, his wings yes and he chirps and is precious and he likes to ride around on sal's shoulders and mm. sal's a big guy that transforms into a pomeranian when he gets mm -hmm. sad and or scared and mm -hmm. has actually experienced physical abuse and oh, they all just kind of they all like hurt your heart yeah they do yeah which is why I was thinking, like, I want to adopt all these kids. Mm, I would probably not do well with them. They're magical. I don't know what I would do with them. Yeah. yeah. Lucy would end up being actually the Antichrist. I don't think I could talk him out of it. Actually, I'd be like, yes, chaos child. <laughs> I can see that. That's pretty on brand for you. <laughs> yeah. I like... Um, Arthur's approach to teaching the children and being with the children, he um, encourages them to stand up and speak in front of each other because talking in front of people is scary. He gives them the space to create and explore and also gives them really structured lessons and discusses philosophy with Lucy and oh, he's just such a lovely man. He is. And I love that what he's teaching the kids and everything like how he's handling the whole situation you know giving them their free time to explore and um hobbies and those sort of things he has zoe help fee you know he's empowering them mm -hmm. in so many different ways and being there for them and it's just and then yeah yeah he's just really and I love that and that's what we're supposed to be doing with our kids too so yeah. it really also highlights because Linus has that book like rules and regulations right mm -hmm. and he's it's basically like his bible at the beginning of the book and you know he's like oh well rules and regulations don't say that you know they can be wandering around by themselves like this they need supervision but it's what we're, we're supposed to let our kids kind of wander around by themselves like in a safe way right none yeah. of them are in danger because they're wandering and like yeah you know talia and her garden that's not that was the first child he met and was just like oh why are you here by yourself and so she's this is what you do with kids yeah stupid i don't know stupid extreme upper management who came well uh, yeah bureaucracy. stupid bureaucracy it sounds like people who aren't parents trying to write a parenting book. Yeah. Right? Oh, especially because Arthur points out that no one who contributed to that that book was mm -hmm. magical. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm. I feel like there was so much carryover from this book to real life stuff. And that situation reminded me there's a, um, oh, and I think it's in Jackson, Mississippi, they, which is um, part of Mississippi, predominantly black populace. Some white folks were appointed to some type of legislative board or something. 
Not a single black person on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, that's just kind of our government in general, right? It's a whole bunch of old mm -hmm. white men. Yep. <laughs> the majority of the country is not old white men. Yeah. So they share like putting themselves in power. Mm -hmm. Linus has to write reports to extreme upper management, the people who sent him on this classified mission to Arthur Parnassus's island. Um, and I love how, like, snarky and kind of, I don't know, it's not petty, but the way that he uh, criticizes them in these letters because they gave him like a portfolio that briefly described all of the people, including Arthur, that lived in the orphanage. But there's like very little information. And he is so snippy in that first little letter. It's like mm -hmm. he describes it as being woefully inadequate at one point. <laughs> it's like, man, you're really letting loose here, Linus. I also really liked when he decided that he was angry at the, I guess, mailman, yeah. whoever was at the post office. And so he leaves without saying goodbye and he thinks that'll show him yeah. <laughs> like, okay, we're not, you're not planning any of our like revenge stuff here. <laughs> and his response when the people from the town send that little raft to arthur's island oh. and so he finds it and they they send him a note that says like we don't uh we don't want you here or something or we want you to leave or something like that mm -hmm. and he responds back no thank you <laughs> <laughs> i just yeah. think he's so he's an i think he's a really interesting character mm -hmm. yeah. uh, i wish that they had explored a little bit more whatever it was that happened between Arthur mm -hmm. and Charles Warner, who is the young, attractive guy that's part of extreme upper management and the one that's really pushing Linus mm -hmm. for information about Arthur. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't, we never really get anything expanded on that other than that he came there and then he left and things went bad. Yes. And yeah. there's the implication that there was some type of like affectionate relationship. Yes. There was between Arthur and Charles. Yes. But Arthur makes a comment about how um basically about how you sometimes you can think people are one way and you show them who you are and they're not what you thought they were. Mm -hmm. And so there's this kind of like implication of betrayal. And Charles using Arthur to climb the ladder, basically. But I don't really understand how that would have worked. Yeah. I feel like there was just this part of the story that was kind of left out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because initially I thought that Charles was wanting all of this information about Arthur because he was like interested in him. Mm -hmm. Me too. 
Yeah, because he says, I have a vested interest in this. Yeah. Like, like okay. Yeah, I don't know. It was, like, do you want to have sex with him? Like, what is the interest? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It seemed strange. And I didn't, like, even at the end, when Linus is giving his impassioned speech in front of extreme upper management, I, he makes a directed comment to, Charles Warner mm-hmm. about whatever he did at Marcia's Island and I I don't know it just didn't seem like we were given enough information to fully grasp whatever was supposed to be happening in that situation yeah I agree that's I did really love Arthur and Linus's. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was just so cute. It uh, was precious. It was. It was so pure and wholesome. Yes. Oh, they were adorable. The way Linus like talks about his about Arthur's like pants being too short and his socks and his skinny little legs and his blonde like windswept hair and the the way that Arthur talks to Linus is just so sweet he talks about how kind he is and how much he appreciates him and oh yep oh yeah it makes me very upset to see all the reviews that are negative so I didn't see the reviews. Can you expand? What are people saying? They are saying that it is LGBTQIA plus, you know, um, propaganda. That that's the whole book. Somebody said that that was the whole book. And she was like, this is a disgrace, whatever. Um, and then somebody else was like, I, I can't believe that they would write this. I would never let my child read this. Um, the left pushing their agenda onto us. What? What the hell? And like people, yes, people are angry at representation, and it's not even why. I don't know why. I mean, just don't read the book. Then it's also like all of its categories. You know, if you ever look in um, Kindle or whatever, it has Mm -hmm. the categories at the same. Like all three of them were LGBTQ Mm -hmm. categories. So it's like, what did you think you were getting into with this? Yeah. Anyway, like. I do not understand these people who think that gay people being the focus of a love story Mm -hmm. is the left pushing an agenda. By that logic, straight people being in a romantic relationship would be the right pushing an agenda. Mm-hmm. Like what? What? Yep. And these people, there's no way they're complaining about things like the the romance in Disney films. They don't care. Somebody kissed a frog. Um, they're like, whatever. But God forbid. We have- Jafar was a predator. But we can oh, watch Aladdin. Yeah. yeah. It, I was like, I'm going to like this book just to spite them. <laughs> 
all awful. They are awful. I feel like the, I mean, the romance is there, but it's not even really like a strong part of the storyline. Right. I agree. It's a very slow build to it, right? There's like some flirting, right? That even as like, so even if you're letting your kid read this, right? Even this was a children's book, they're not really going to pick up on all the flirting. You know, they do kiss at the end. Right? At the end, yeah. At the end. And there is a reference to, like, how all the kids have been having to have, like, sleepovers at Zoe's, mm-hmm. you know. But otherwise, this isn't, like, some explicit romance. It's no. sweet. It's no more intense or anything. If anything, I think it's kind of less intense than some of the, like, actual, like, kids' books, you know, or kids' movies and stories and shows and stuff. It's Ugh. yeah I don't know no. I mean because there's not even like oh he was so attractive I would like you know there wasn't even any of that no you know so <laughs> what yeah. Linus uh, as part of his investigation at the orphanage asked to see or wants to see at some point the rooms that all of the children stay in Mm -hmm. and so when he goes into lucy's room lucy talks about how he wanted to decorate it how to decorate it with the head of his the heads of his enemies Mm -hmm. and arthur makes a comment like we're we're not doing that even paper mache would be too much and um linus asks the question about it and about the heads and lucy says you know uh like people who attend mega churches and um oh he says something else is oh yeah evangelicals who attend mega churches the pope you know like normal people have representations of my enemies it's really nice to see linus soften up and lose some of his objectivity the more times he spends with it the more time he spends with the children to the point where he's even suggesting like things that they do so he suggests that they take an outing to the town he's concerned about their ability to socialize with the rest of humanity mm-hmm. yeah and that was i i loved that they went into like i loved seeing him become active you know an active participant in the children's lives mm-hmm. right like that and arthur reciprocating and taking his advice too and actually Mm -hmm. doing it so i love the children getting to go into town didn't love some of what happened but yeah um the adventure to the record store so first of all talia is like tremendous excitement at shovels and little rakes and things like that in the hardware store is adorable um the trip to the music store Mm -hmm. things go a little haywire but this there's this interesting moment that I really like where Linus um he goes to check on Lucy and Lucy gets taken to the back of the building and assaulted by this guy marty who's trying to exercise you know satan from him um 
And then he comes back out and Talia is at the front door uh, and she's got like her hand on a glass and this little girl outside also has her hand on the glass and they have like this really great moment that's very friendly. And then the little girl's mom comes along and she like panics and is very hateful and she spits at the window or the door. And I feel like that just reinforced very strongly the idea that hate is taught, right? Oh, yeah. This little girl has no problems with Talia. She is friendly with her. She's amused. Like, they're having a good time. Mom comes along. Super hateful. Talia says something um, the next moment about how humans are strange or something like that. But I just can't imagine how hard life must be for magical people in this world. Yeah. But I feel like that has carry over to the world that we have now, like the world that we actually live in, right? Well, a lot of it is still taught. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And a lot of what the author says in the book, right? So one of the things that said at that point, um, Talia goes, oh, Arthur says that like change begins with the few, right? Mm -hmm. Or something along those lines. And then it's also in the book. Well, that's in the book several times. It's also in the book several times about how fear is what creates hate a mm-hmm. lot of the time, right? They fear what they don't understand. Like, they hate what they don't understand or they fear what they don't understand. That leads them to hating it, right? That's in there a couple times. Yeah. Which so, solid point. Yeah. Arthur's heart just kind of gets really entangled. Not Arthur. Uh, Linus's heart gets really entangled with all of the children. And at, during this scene, he goes to the post office and picks up a, a letter from extreme upper management. And they give um, Charles Warner specifically, who is on that board, there's one of the directors, um, has a key to the cellar in Arthur's house. And so Linus goes and explores it and he discovers what's basically a cell. Mm-hmm. And we learn that Arthur was kept down there for like six months when he was a child because Arthur is also a magical creature he's a phoenix yay yeah oh and- gay to the phoenix not gay to the being kept in the cell for yes yeah phoenixes yeah. are super cool but he feels like he's probably the only one that's left mm-hmm. we learn that he's someone who's experienced just like a lot of isolation Mm -hmm. and abuse as well and he I think impresses upon Linus why it's important to care about people when they don't stay at the orphanages anymore like what happens when they leave because the orphanage that Arthur was raised in got shut down after they discovered that Arthur was being held captive in a basement for six months and he went to one of the schools that the ministry uh, or the department creates then it's probably as bad in terms of circumstances it's not a good place to live either mm-hmm. so i think he really highlights and i know that he pushes linus to think a few times the prejudice that magical creatures and magical people experience in this world mm-hmm. he makes this really good comment to 
um, later on in the book, he says, and just because you don't experience prejudice in your everyday life doesn't stop it from existing for the rest of us. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that again, just kind of applies to like <laughs> everyday life here where it's like, hello, white privilege. Hello, cis pet privilege. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, and that's one of the things where people, I mean, here, you know, like in real life, like, oh no, there's nothing going on. There's nothing wrong. And it's like, because especially when it comes to things like with the cops um, and just overall systemic oppression, you know, mm-hmm. it's, oh no, this isn't like a thing, but it's like, it's cause it's not happening to you. doesn't mean it's, yeah. it's not real. Yeah. Or the lack of understanding that just by being a white person, you have, re- you have privilege. privilege. Yeah. Okay. So after the kids go into town and everything, they, a couple days later, I suppose, yeah. they notice that some townspeople have gathered like on the other side of the, like in the town, right? And they want to cross over to the island. And they're basically like pitchfork and torches sort of mob right they mm-hmm. they've got protesting signs and everything and then you've got uh the mayor of the town who's telling them they're being ridiculous so linus zoe no zoe's not there it's linus and arthur they go mm-hmm. to do it and i think it's linus is the one that makes a really good point he's like what are you gonna do when you get there are you gonna hurt the children you burning like what are what's your plan yeah once you get there and they just they don't it it made my blood boil like they're on a whole separate ass island from you yeah right like coming there like once a week or once a month is not uh, yeah yeah I was very angry reading that scene yeah they're threatened, the people on that island, they're threatened just by the existence of the magical children. Like, they haven't even done anything. They just exist. Yep. It was, and then someone throws a rock, and Arthur, you know, saves the day because he unveils himself as a phoenix and whatever. Uh, but, I mean, I, like, I agree. What What are you going to do when you get to the island with the children Mm-hmm. what i don't know i feel like there's a lack of critical thinking mm-hmm. um the i think it's the mayor at this moment says to linus hate is loud but i think you'll learn it's because it's only a few people shouting that are desperate to be heard glad they put that mob in its place yeah i love how in this moment as well linus insists on coming with arthur he's like i'm a government official people will listen to me Hmm. okay yes (laughs) i I know yeah that didn't work on january 6th but all right (laughs) (laughs) oh okay i guess it depends on the government official the in the last part of the book, uh, Linus has to leave. He, so he was only planning to stay on the, the island for a month to because that was his mission, I guess. And so he leaves and he goes back to his sad, gray, rainy life 
and it's terrible. And he makes his recommendation. So his last note for extreme upper management is basically that he recommends that Arthur's orphanage stay open. And of course, that's not sufficient enough of a thing. So they summon him to discuss it. And um, his final speech to these people is so impassioned and powerful. And I think this is where we really see how fully Linus's um, experience on the island has changed him. Mm -hmm. Because before... There's no way he would have felt empowered to speak so freely and so passionately about the children mm -hmm. and to basically call out the committee or whatever they are for um, using Arthur Parnassus. Part of the deal with him being a, a phoenix is that it's really a test to see if this is something that like he can do. So he can't show the kids his powers and he has to pretend to be human, I guess. Um, but it's, it's kind of like a, a challenge for him so they can still regulate him and control him. There's not freedom for him, even as an adult from this department, I guess. Um, and so Linus like really takes a stand and he calls them out and is super brave. And then he realizes like, you know what, maybe I can have some dreams. Um, and so he starts like stealing files. <laughs> he starts stealing files from some of the orphanages that he's been to before. And also some of his coworkers files, because he has a dream and he still wants to help people that he's not going to be able to do it within the confines of his working environment. So he like is toughing it out. And then uh, her name is Doreen. She's like the secretary for extreme upper management. Uh, Linus calls her bubblegum girl. She comes down to his office one day and he gives them a note that says that they've agreed to leave the, the orphanage open and the kids can stay with Arthur. And Linus is immediately like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> I quit. I yeah. did what I wanted and I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. He does try to convince the people that are still there, right? Like his coworkers and everything. It was very, it was very 1984, right? That whole, yeah. you know, like you're being lied to sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Don't you want more than this? Um, he does that right before. Uh, do that before he leaves or before he has the meeting? He does it right before he leaves. Right before he leaves. Yeah. Yeah. I, I liked that too him yeah. stand up and try to inform others too what's going on not that I doubt any of them listened but maybe gives them something to think about right play it's a seed mm -hmm. yep yeah and yeah. then I love when he goes back to the island right oh yeah and he asks the kids if it's okay and they all like huddle up mm -hmm. right and they all come up with demands and the demands were so sweet it's like you have to garden with me in the spring and do whatever i tell you you know um chauncey is like you have to let me um be your bellhop and you have to tip me right like yes they were just these really sweet sweet things that the kid these deals were it was yeah. precious 
It was adorable. Yes. And then he and Arthur finally kiss. And it's so sweet. Mm -hmm. Ugh, yeah. Nope. Everything about it was precious. Happily ever after. Oh, I did want to mention, they talk, uh, when, a, when Linus is making his speech, they, one of the people in extreme upper management makes a comment about Lucy. He starts to call him the Antichrist, and Linus is like, we don't call him that. Don't call him that. That's not his name. And um, he, one of the people says that he is immoral just by his birthright, like, because his father is Satan, I guess, um, that regardless of whether or not Lucy can help it, he is immoral. And they talk about, and um, this is part of like the conversations that Arthur has with Lucy and that Arthur and Linus have with each other as well. Um, people are not black and white. Mm -hmm. And... I, like people aren't born but I mean I don't I don't really know how it works with like psychopaths I don't know how that works but like people aren't born bad and um he makes a really great comment I'm using up all of my favorite quotes but whatever he makes a really great comment to this this person he says morality is relative just because you find something abhorrent doesn't mean it actually is and it reminds me of like all of there, there's a lot of anti-trans legislation happening right now in my state, in Tennessee, they've just passed a bill that gives, I think, trans youth a year to start detransitioning. So they've outlawed or passed a bill um, against gender affirming care. And so I feel like people talk about like LG and trans people are the the target of a lot of legislation right now but people talk about lgbtq folks being immoral just for existing um and there are like weird people in florida and virginia who are trying to track like the menstrual histories of children and i feel like there's just all of these things happening right now where people are assigning morality to people without knowing people they're just making generalizations about whole groups morality is subjective and a person isn't good or bad or moral or amoral just because they are trans or gay or bi or I don't know mm -hmm. I've been keeping up with a lot of stuff recently politically um and so I felt like there was a lot of carryover to some of the stuff that I've been seeing recently i it makes me very angry and sad and i used to keep up with a lot of it and i've let that go a lot yeah. recently um just because it's ugh, angering I, I yeah i mean i feel like a lot of that stuff isn't happening in your state that's true so i could see you not keeping up with it They've had like four anti-trans bills hit the legislature, like the uh, the what are, the house, I guess, mm -hmm. in um, Arkansas in the last couple of weeks. So it's super on my radar, but it's because it's like 
in my area. Yeah. Well, I think I've already shared all of my quotes. Do you have any quotes that you want to share? I do. So I have two. I have hate is a waste of time. I'm far too busy to hate anything. I prefer it that way. Which I like this quote. I think it's a good philosophy to live by. Yeah. Because I think hate is a waste of time. It takes a lot out of you, yeah. you know, to hate something or someone. So, you know, be busy doing other things. Mm-hmm. Don't focus on the things that you hate. You know, it's just it's a waste of time. So there was that one. And then I had this one, which it just sounded sort of like a, it could be a line from a poem or a song or something. And I just like the imagery that it invoked. So it's about Linus and it's, his thoughts were all cerulean. Yeah. I really liked that. Yeah. The imagery with that. It's very nice. Very well in this story. I also really appreciated the way that they incorporated music lyrics into the story that was being told. Mm-hmm. So the way that they used uh, like the lyrics from the buddy. Some, yeah. It was Bobby, Buddy Holly and Bobby Darren songs um, somewhere along the sea, somewhere waiting for me that I like, I feel like the, I don't know if I've seen an author do that with song lyrics before, but I really appreciated the way that that was incorporated and also the way that Lucy and Linus were able, that's the Charlie Brown characters, Lucy and Linus were able to um, bond over something like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I loved Sal's poem. Uh, oh my gosh yes. yeah i am but paper yes and thin that was good yeah yes there were so many great just great moments in the story there were i highlighted a lot of this yeah. as much as i felt like i was reading you know a kid's book i did enjoy it and highlight quite a bit of it yeah okay uh, well, that's it for The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune. Next time, we'll be discussing Toughest Deal by Alessa Thorne. We hope you join us for that. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.